Alright folks, well we're entering the parasha of Bow, and um, this is a very, very good parasha because again corresponds to the salvation. Our question that we need to ask each other is, what is the salvation of Hashem looks like? It's very, very important that we understand that. Because if we're seeking for deliverance in our lives, right? We're not talking about eternal life, but even within our lives here today. Okay, I want to bring this to today. <laughs> Because I don't want you to just daydream about a time to come. Because the kingdom of Hashem can be felt today. And it can be walked today. You don't have to wait until you die and resurrect to experience it. You can experience it even here today. <clears throat> the problem is the expectations. And I always say, folks, what does deliverance look like? Well, if you notice in here something very, very strange. That Moses is talking to Hashem, right? And Hashem is all-knowing, isn't he? I mean, he is the mighty God. He is the God above all the gods of Egypt. He is the creator of heaven and earth. True? I mean, all these statements are facts and truth, right? Question. that It begs the question. Why does Moses need to keep going back inside to talk to Pharaoh? Think about it. I often think about these little things. It's like, okay, you serve the creator of the, the universe, but yet... You need to keep going back to this man, and he keeps rejecting you, and Moses just keeps going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's just like playing these games. Scripture said that he did this, obviously, to show what? His mighty hands, right? To show the power that he had. It begs the question still, couldn't he have done that with just killing Pharaoh instantly? <laughs> just saying. Because if he would have gotten Pharaoh, rid of Pharaoh immediately, the first time he went out, and Moses says, let my people go, and Pharaoh would have said no, lightning strike, boom, dead. That would have shown his power. So there's something more than meets the story here. You know, this whole process, folks, it's what the sages ask the question, and then they ask, oh, and oh, why do we have to go through this process? In the same way and the answer how they give it in here which i'm going to share with you in just a minute is the same for our deliverance today why can hashem just deliver us like we wake up in the morning and i don't know we're a new person why do we have to go through the process see this is important folks because this is the way how the almighty operates so look the parsha is bull right exodus 10 1 and 2 says then hashem said to moses Go into Pharaoh, for I have heart in his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them. Right? Now, the sages say that because he said, go into Pharaoh, for I have heart in his heart, it says that the heretics automatically think that Pharaoh didn't have free will. Because he's saying to them, you know, he's saying, I have heart in his heart. Hazak teaches that the Almighty One, blessed be his name, will send three warnings to a person. He'll send him once to give him a warning. He'll send him twice to give him a warning. He'll send him to the third time to give him a warning. If the person does not repent and does not receive that message after the third time, the Heavenly Father hardens the heart of the person. Now, in our idiom, a heavy heart means a sad heart. But in biblical time, the idiom for a hardened heart means that he was arrogant and proud. So, you know what? I, I found it very interesting what Hazar says about the three times because we find something like that in the apostolic scriptures, in the Bikadashah. 
Well, for instance, it says that when you have to go to somebody's house, you have to go in three times, and after the third time, if they do not receive you, what do you do? You shake the dust of your feet and you move on. Kind of coming in agreement with what Hazat says about Pharaoh. After the third time, then I'm going to harden his heart, folks. This is very, very interesting. But what we're seeing in here is something about that. Let's continue on. That you may tell in your hearing your son and your, and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am Hashem. So we see something very, very interesting. Salvation is not an instant process, but it is actually a process. Look what the sages of Israel say about this. And the Chofetz Chaim says something very interesting. It says, Chofetz Chaim explains a special requirement through a parable. He actually, by the way, parable teaching was very common, folks, for the rabbis in the ancient times. So Jesus didn't just come up with it. It was common in that time for the rabbis to teach in parables. So look what he says in here in this parable. A doctor prescribed medicated lozenges to a patient with a throat infection, right? He instructed the patient to suck the lozenges at fixed intervals for a week. The patient found sucking the lozenges too uncomfortable and instead swallowed them whole. When the week passed with no improvement, he returned to the doctor and complained. Why is this not working? Okay. So the doctor was surprised since the lozenges were a proven remedy. Okay. He asked the patient if he had sucked them to the end since the majority of the active ingredient is in the center. Swallowing them whole would not bring about the desired outcome. Similarly, the proper impact from our reliving the Exodus at the Seder will result only when we follow the prescribed formula. It's amazing. In other words, folks, God is smarter than we are, and He understands us better than we understand each other. And sometimes, just sometimes, we need to go through stuff in order to be delivered. That is just human nature. Remember, we haven't been endowed with free will. And we have a choice to say nay or yay. And this is why the process has to be this way. As painful as it is, that is life, folks. We want deliverance. We're going to have to go through the process of deliverance. So look, the parashah here is both. And it literally means he who comes, he who arrives, or even to enter. Now, he has been called, Moses has been called to enter, right? Enter Pharaoh to, to give this news. But we're going to see something even more interesting with this parasha and how it connects with salvation. Because you see, we need to enter into salvation. We need to bulk salvation. And how do we enter salvation? Because that's what the parasha is. The title is all about entering. Or even he who is coming. Well, it ties with uh, salvation because he who is coming... Is coming bearing salvation, but you also need to enter into salvation. He is bringing salvation, but it is up to you whether you want to enter it or not. It's kind of like uh, the same thing. Deliverance is there for you in your life. You want your strongholds gone? Well, you have to enter into deliverance in order for the strongholds to leave. Don't expect to wake up one morning and say, I'm free from, the, from all my strongholds. It doesn't work that way. As tempting as that sounds and delicious as that sounds, it just doesn't work. It's not realistic. Scripture is teaching us differently. 
So look, Deuteronomy 28.2, corresponding to the word bow. Look how this word is used in scripture. Deuteronomy 28.2 says, and these blessings shall come upon you. Guess what the Hebrew word there is? Bow. These blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of Hashem your God. Look, Isaiah 51.11 says, And the ransom of Hashem shall return and, Bo, come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighting shall flee away. So we see that this word, I mean, there's tons of example in here about regarding this word, but this word is often used a lot for deliverance. And what is the main theme of this parsha? Deliverance. So look, moving on in here, Exodus 10, 3 says, So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says Hashem, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? <laughs> right? And what is interesting about this is that Hazal actually gives something that I thought I read something that he, he wrote that's very interesting. Hazal actually says that Pharaoh is symbolic to Satan. Mm -hmm. And the children of Israel, obviously, is us. And how Satan has the people still in bondage today. Mm -hmm. And what we experience through this life today, why we see what we see, is the progression because we are essentially reliving the time of Exodus, whether we realize it or not. In the heavenlies, there's each, each time there is a shofar blown, it is the Almighty warning Hasatan that he needs to let his people go. Very, very interesting what he proposes in here. Because I see a lot of similarities to this. But look, I want to point out something that's very interesting because he says in here, let my people go, right? God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go. We hear that all the time, right? Let my people go. But what is the point of letting his people go? For what purpose? <coughs> now here is where it gets really, really good. What is the purpose that Hashem is saying to Pharaoh, let my people go? For what purpose? That they may what? Serve me. Okay, we're going to start right here now. Because this understanding of salvation has been completely misunderstood. See, our understanding is we've been set free, so now we can do whatever we want. But in the Moses, in the foundation of the scripture, it teaches that the reason why Hashem liberated Israel so that they can serve him. Now, this is the way it reads in Hebrew. It says, Shalach Ami. Shalach. What is Shalach? A sent one. Let my people go so that they can be sent ones. Not so they can go ahead and, and merge themselves in debauchery, but that they can be sent ones. What did Yeshua do? He Shaliach, all his disciples. He redeemed them. Interesting, right? And after he resurrected, what did he do? He commissioned them and sent them as shaliach. So like the same thing we see in here. Shalach ami, the people, ve ya'av duni. What is that word for ve'av duni? So that they may serve me. But you see, when we talk about serving me, if we leave this the way it is, just, well, in English, we can really interpret this in 35 different ways. Maybe more. Because one can say, well, I am serving God by doing the rituals that I do. And it, I mean, it is, a good, it is a good proposition. I'm not, I'm not smiling. It's true. 
One can argue, one can present that argument, rightfully. But let's see how it reads in the Hebrew. Because you see, ultimately we need to understand, it wasn't written, the Bible wasn't written in English. King James wasn't around when this was written. <laughs> so we need to understand it the way they understood it. So that we can transfer that for today. So where it says, Shalach mi ve'ya'avdinuni, look, it is for the word abad in Hebrew. And what is abad? To work, to serve. He served, look, he worshipped, but I put it very big. Mm -hmm. Obeyed. A bondman. What does Paul say in most of his letter? I, Paul, the bond servant of the Lord. Why does he call himself a bond servant? You ever read in the Paul's letter so he says that? I, the bond servant of the Lord. Usually it opens up with that. He's very quick to say, I, the bond servant of the Lord. Why? Because Apostle Paul was referring to the Abbat, which means one who obeys. So, let's go back now. Let my people go that they may come and serve me. So that they may come and obey me. By how? Worshiping. <coughs> this is salvation, folks. You were redeemed and you switched masters. You went from the master of this world or the ruler of this world to the almighty ruler. You serve now Hashem. And what did we talk about serving? We're talking about obeying him. Look, 1 Corinthians 7.23 says, You were brought with a price, right? Do not become what? <coughs> Bond servants of men. Now, why would Apostle Paul write this? What was going through his mind? Because remember, Rav Shaul was a rabbi of rabbis under Gamaliel who grew up with the traditions of the elders. So in his context and where his mind is coming from, because I mean, let's face it, we still are bond servers of men. You still go to work every day and punch the clock. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about in your service and what you do and how you worship. He said, do not be bond servants of men. In other words, let's go back in here. Don't abet, don't obey the doctrines of men. <laughs> obey the doctrines of Hashem. Don't worship the way men worship today. Worship the way Hashem tells you to worship. Look, the one in here. First Samuel fifteen twenty two says, and Samuel said, "Has Hashem has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of Hashem?" Notice what he says in here. Does he have great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? You know that that can be interpreted. The burnt offerings and sacrifices can be interpreted as your religious dogma. The things that you do, the offerings that you give, is he interested in you and how perfect you tie your zitzes this morning? Not that they're not important, but is he really interested in how you tie them today? Is he really interested that you make sure that that uh, Torah score is, you know, in the right perfect angle, and that right degree? <laughs> or is he interested more in you obeying his word? Because let's face it, folks, we can get all this stuff very, very right but truly not even obey him. And this is the accusation that he had against the Pharisees. They did things in the external, very perfect, very, very perfect, to the degree that it was becoming a yoke for people, but they were in the process of doing that. And let's face it, folks, sometimes we can get involved, we get so involved, 
that we forget the matter of the heart, the weightier matters of the law. Very easy to do when you come into this walk. Because let's face it, we come with that attitude. I don't, I, I don't want to mess up. I don't want, I don't want to anger the Father. That we get so wrapped up in the, what, in the physical that we forget the heart. We forget really how to fulfill the, the law. That's why he says in here, does he have great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? As in obeying the voice of Hashem. Behold, to obey is better than what? <laughs> sacrifice. It is better for you to obey the written word of God and have the heart for Hashem than to be a Pharisee who has it all right in the outside. And looks good, by the way. Looks very religious and very proper. But inside, you're that man. Look, to obey is better than to sacrifice. And to listen, that is Shema, than to the fat of rams. So look, Exodus 10.25 says, But Moses says, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice to Hashem our God. Our livestock also must go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve Hashem our God. Now, it's interesting what Moses says in here. <coughs> look what he says immediately after that. And we do not know with what we must serve Hashem until we arrive there, he says. Something that I think is very interesting because today we have this mentality that we need to know it all. Today, tomorrow, and the future. Folks, when Hashem calls you out, even with Moses, who which by the Bible says there will never be another prophet like Moses. So don't even try to compare yourself to Moses. He didn't even know how he was supposed to sacrifice into when? He got there. See, we need to get with that mentality. You don't have to have every day figure out, folks. You're going to be mighty disappointed. Now, in the world, you might have been used to that. In this world, you're used to that because you plan, and that's that. It becomes done. But in the kingdom of Hashem, I got news for you. You're going to be mighty disappointed. You can figure out all you want. He's going to call your bluff. And this is what we need to understand. As right now, many of brothers and sisters are coming now into the Messianic movement, in the Jewish roots. We want to have everything figured out. And it doesn't work that way. This process of salvation is a daily thing. We live day by day. That's why he says do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Sufficient of the trouble is what? Today. Work out your salvation today. Live out your salvation today. Tomorrow may not be here. You may not be here tomorrow. Tomorrow may actually be here, but you may not be here. That's why it's a daily walk, folks. And this is what he's saying. He doesn't know exactly how. He knows that he needs the sacrifices. He knows that much. But in the order and how he needs to present it, it's not quite clear yet. Look. How this reason in Hebrew says, Ve'anachnu, okay? Ve'anachnu lo neda. Ma na'avot. Now, it's saying in here something that's deeper than what it says in the English. It says, but we don't know how to serve Hashem until we arrive there. Mm -hmm. But in Hebrew, it gives it more a little bit of a revelation. There. He says, we do not know, we, we do not know how we are going to obey or worship who? The Aleph Tav of Hashem. Wow. How many of us today, this is important, 
Why is this important? Because today, we have people that say, well, I worship the God of the Old Testament. We got some people say, well, I worship the God of the New Testament. <laughs> right? But we have become complacent with this, believe it or not, with this doctrine. We have, we have accepted this worldwide. The Jews serve the God of the Old Testament. The Christians serve the God of the New Testament. That's an accepted worldwide doctrine. But what Hashem is saying in here, by the way, these are people who are about to be redeemed. Now, what is the center focus of the redemption? It's the Aleph Tav of Yehovah. We need to learn how to serve the Yeshua, the Aleph Tav of Yehovah. You see, today, he's been defied. We got all these different feasts that are supposedly to commemorate him. But in here, we're learning something. What was Moses' attitude towards this? We don't know how to worship him. When we get out there, we're going to learn. What process, what, what time and frame we're in? We're in right now in that season. We are now learning how to worship the Alephtah of Yehovah. Look, this is why this was written in Colossians 2.15. It says, let no one therefore judge you in eating or in drinking or in respect to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are shadow of what is to come, but the body is of Messiah. That's exactly what's happening here. Moses is saying, we don't know how we're going to worship. We know we need this thing. We know we need these sacrifices to worship the Aleph Tav, the Yeshua of Hashem. Colossians is saying that all these things point towards him. A very edification of what we just read, what Moses said in the Hebrew, of course, not in the English. Because you see, let no one judge you. How many of you have been judged for keeping Sabbath? How many of you have been judged by the world for eating kosher? How many of you are judged in the world, here's a big one, for not keeping Christmas? That's it, they're murdering you right there. See, you're being judged whether you realize now you're being judged. But why are you doing? Why do you eat kosher? Why do you keep Sabbath? Why you don't do Christmas anymore? Why do you keep the biblical feast? Because why? You're learning that that is of Mashiach itself. You're learning that that is the Aleph Tav. That is how we celebrate who he is. This is what he's saying, folks. And we are in the season of the wilderness, aren't we? The world, as a matter of fact, Kazakh says that the world is the wilderness. We're learning now in this wilderness, we're learning about how to worship properly our Creator. This is what they were facing in the same way, folks. Look, Luke 24, 44. Then he said to them, These are the word, my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything that was written about in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled, he says. Very important. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. See, we cannot understand the scriptures, folks, if we remove the Aleph Tav. Of Hashem. If you take the Aleph Tav away from Hashem, what you got left is legalism. The Aleph Tav brings, a, what does it say in here? He even says it now, remember who is he talking to? He's talking to first century Jews who grew up with Torah. He's not talking to Gentiles. Not at this point anyways. These are the apostles. These were all Jewish men who knew Torah, grew up with Torah, and yet they still didn't have the understanding. Why? Because, again, he presented to them, I am, that, I am that essence that's missing in the Torah. That if you put that in there, 
everything falls into place. Mm. Now, I'm not much of a mechanic, but I know that there's certain parts when you put in a car, <coughs> little tiny ones, ooh, that's the missing link. Everything is now fixed. <laughs> everything makes sense now, how this functions. I experienced that change in my own life. <laughs> Thank you, Josiah. See, it's little things that make sense for the whole operation of the vehicle. Same thing with the Torah. Little things, folks, that make sense. And he is that little missing link. So the first feast that God of, of the God of Israel is going to reveal concerning himself is the feast of what? Salvation. Notice that this is the first feast that he's going to introduce now to them so that they can understand him. Why didn't he choose Sukkot? Think about it. Here, better yet, why didn't he choose Yom Kippur? He chose Passover, the very first feast, major feast of the Lord. Look, let's see this. Exodus 12, 1 and 1 through 11 says, Then uh, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. The sages of Israel said that this was the sanctification of the Rosh Kodesh in here. Rosh Kodesh is important, folks. We're supposed to gather Rosh Kodesh to pronounce the new month, the upcoming month. He said this is the first thing that he says in here. This is going to be, be the beginning of the months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. Now notice in here that the, who is the audience that he's speaking to? Again, he's speaking to Moses. And for who? For the children of Israel. I don't know. You think that they would have known that Aviv was the first of the month for the season? How is it that they lost this? Think about it. The dispersion. Being assimilated to Egypt. They lost all of this, folks. Kind of like we have lost it in the same way. Right? So look. And the house, and if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for that lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole who? The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Who is to kill the lamb? Literally in Hebrew, the kahal. The church of Israel is to kill. The whole church of Israel is to kill the lamb. Who killed Yeshua? All of us did. See, we need to stop pointing fingers. Saying, well, it was the Jewish people that killed him. Or it was the Romans who killed him. It was all of us that killed him. That's the, one of the uh, 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 statutes for the Torah is that all of them are to kill it. It doesn't say a genealogy or a specific group of people <coughs> killed it, but rather all of them. So look, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roast it on fire. Now notice in here, folks, and, you know, Hazal actually bring this point too. When I was reading it, I saw it myself. It's very interesting. <coughs> it says in here, you notice that the, the, uh, the hukat for Passover in here 
entails something that's very different than what we do for Passover here. Okay, because we don't literally go outside and put the door and the blood, and we don't, you know, put our staff on and be ready to go. But notice that in here, this changed later, in here, it says, they shall eat the flesh that <coughs> night, okay, roast it with fire, with unleavened bread and a bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat it in, uh, raw or boil or in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. Hazal is teaching us in here that for the prescription for that night specifically, as they were exiting out of Egypt, that's why they needed to put the blood on the doorposts. We find out later through scriptures that that was not the case, that they didn't do this, but they did this in memorial. As a matter of fact, later in chapter 13, he says, you have to do this as a memorial, as a remembrance, not physically go ahead and do it. So there's the difference. Again, there's heretics, they arise and tell you, well, why aren't you putting blood? The Torah says you need to put blood. And they will call you out on that. You know, when you try to act righteous and you always have one in the group who wants to break and tear down your faith and ask these type of questions that are really not proper. But at the same time, I see that it's kind of proper because it does say in here. But again, the interpretation in here was for that night because they were exiting Egypt. Amen? So look, they are to do this. Now moving on in here. And you shall let none of the re of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this matter, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Now, what's interesting about this, folks, what is the point of this? Because Passover commemorates the day where Hashem re uh, liberated his people. I will submit to you today, in my opinion, this is my opinion, I believe that the second exodus is going to fall in the time of exodus, in the time of Passover. There will be a night where we will be together here celebrating Passover, and we're going to have to get ready to go. Because everything is cyclical, folks. You know, I have a bug out bag on, uh, on Passover. When it's ready to go, I just pack up and go. But in all, in all honestly, seriously, it's one of those things. We never know when that time comes. We need to be ready to go. Will you be ready to go on that, that Passover Seder? It might just be that Passover Seder that it's time for us to march out of here. And we need to be ready. So look, it says in here, and you shall eat it in haste. Why? Because it is the Jewish Passover. <laughs> well, why would you have to eat it in haste if it's the Jewish Passover? <laughs> right? But what's the scripture says? It is Yohebabhe's Passover. This is important. Because it doesn't say that this was the Jewish Passover, but rather it was Yohebabhe's Passover, Hashem's Passover. And who's redeeming who's redeeming Israel? Hashem. Whose Passover is it? Hashem. Why do you keep the Passover? Because you belong to him. Look. So Passover, folks. It is the Hebrew word Pesach. And it literally means to be lame, skipped over. If you notice in the Passover, they were to put the blood just like you see it in here. And this is very symbolic to the cross, folks. Yeshua bled from his head, from his hands, and from his feet. A very symbolic of the cross and the Messiah being crucified. Look, you see this lentil in here, uh, the, uh, the door? When it talks about Pesach, folks, it was not talking about the angel of death seeing that blood and passing over to the next house. 
but rather was crossing over. He went in. Because when you go in, guess what? You are going over the what? The blood. That means that you, make, you come into covenant now with him. So the idea of Passover is to leap over. He's actually going over the doorpost, over the blood, and coming into covenant with the people inside the house. That's how it went. That's the reason why they were spared. Not, he didn't look at the blood and went to the next one. But rather he went in and came into covenant with them. So look, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8 says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be new lump, for you are really our unleavened. For Messiah our what? Passover lamb. See, Apostle Paul even makes the connection in here with the Mashiach being the Passover lamb. Yeshua said in Luke 24, that all these things that were written, they were written so that I can fulfill it, and they were concerning me. The Passover, folks, why do we celebrate Passover and not Easter? <laughs> celebrate Passover because it commemorates the day that Hashem liberated us from the ways of the world. It is the day that we left behind Egypt and stepped over in faith into the eternal covenants of the mighty creator. And as the New Testament talks about, we do all these things because they are concerning him. So when they ask you, why do you do Passover? Because I believe in the Messiah. More of a reason why we do that. So look. So Yeshua, or the Messiah, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate what? The festival. Many people say, well, Jesus never said that we ought to celebrate <coughs> Passover. Well, he didn't have to. He actually did it. But just in case, just to give him the point, what about Paul here? It says, let us therefore celebrate the feast. He's advocating, saying, let's do it. He's not saying to them, don't do it. By the way, Corinthians, this is uh, primarily the audience in here is Gentiles, people crossing over into the faith. He's not saying to them, well, you guys are excluded. He didn't say it there, therefore, let us not keep the feast. But he said, let us keep the feast. But look, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What is evil? Ra. What is ra? Wickedness. Lawlessness. What is truth? His Torah. Makes sense, doesn't it? Because you see, when we understand that remember when he said, let my people go, that they may what? Serve me, that they may obey me. Right? Why you've been redeemed? So that you can obey him. That's what he's talking about in here in Corinthians. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven. We need to get rid of the old leaven, folks. And come into his submission in obedience. Look, Genesis Rabbah 69.7. This, this literally blew my mind when I read it. Look what the Chazad says in here. It says, the Messiah's blood marked the soil of Jerusalem, the city of the holy temple, and the gateway to heaven. That is powerful. This is not a Christian literature. This is a Jewish literature. It says that the Messiah's blood. Why would he even say the Messiah's blood? Mark that. Because Hazad interprets this as the blood of the binding of Isaac. They connect this. They don't say it's Yeshua. 
But the binding of Isaac, remember, Isaac is a type, a shadow of the Messiah who will come and atone for us and who Abraham gave his only son, his only begotten son. You got to see the gospel here, folks. Even though, remember, when a lot of these things, when they wrote it, Yeshua wasn't in the picture yet. So you can't blame them. But they have this knowledge and understanding that the, the atoning blood of the Mashiach will literally be the gateway to heaven. What was Yeshua's sacrifice? Mount Moriah. What was Isaac's sacrifice? Mount Moriah. Where is the, the Jacob encounter? The gateway. Mount Moriah. Look, this gateway of heaven is connected with Passover. As Chazad teaches in here. Look, Genesis 28, 16 says, Then Jacob awoke from his, from his sleep and said, Surely Hashem is in this place. That is the Makom. Look. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. That's where the temple stood. And this is the gate to heaven. Look, this gate to heaven in Passover connects because the gate is sa'ir. And it means a gate, look, an entrance, but also a goal. Romans 10.4 says what? For Messiah is the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. <laughs> the goal is the gate. The blood is the power that it gives you the power and the authority to walk in the law, folks. It's amazing. Look. It also means he estimated. Look. He set the price. He set the measure. You better believe it. He set the price and the measure when Yeshua came and died on that cross. Because he was the right measure. Look. Matthew 7, 13. Enter by the what? Narrow gate. Narrow gate. See, the gate that Jacob saw, I believe that in this parable is what Yeshua is talking about. The narrow gate. The gate, it is the sulam in Hebrew. That Yaakov saw that leads to heaven. And who is the gate? Yeshua said, I am the gate. He is the narrow road. What does that mean? Folks, it means that Yeshua's walk is a narrow walk. It's not wide. That means that, that your discerning antenna should be going like this now. Wait a minute. If it's this way, but it's being preached that it's this way, you can come to God however you want. But that goes against the sulam and the sa'ib, the gate. Look, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. If your walk is too easy, you might want to question it. He's saying the walk is hard. It's not easy. You're going to have to give up friendships. You might have to give up a lot of things that you desire and things that you love, people that you love. It's the hardest one. Family that you love. You might have to give those up because the narrow road demands it. Not an easy thing to do, folks. But nonetheless, he gives us encouragement because he says that for the gate is narrow and the way is hard, that leads to what? Life. How many of you want life? Yes. You want life? Then you have to go through the narrow road, the narrow gate. The narrow gate is what gives you life. You see, it's... it's it's very hard to, to understand because you see our flesh desires what we, our flesh desires 
And it feels like when we go through the wide road that it's okay because we feed, get, we're feeding our flesh. But it's really producing death. You gotta be careful. Look, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are how many? Few. This comes in agreement with being a remnant, folks. See, the blood of the Mashiach and the atonement that he gave for us in Passover is to redeem a remnant. What do I mean by that, folks? Stop trying to save the whole world. We got this preconceived idea that we need to go and save everybody out there. You wait for the Father to bring that vessel for you. I got news for you. Out of all the people that you're talking, only about this much are actually going to listen to you. Let me discourage Stop trying to save the world. Go seek the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's what you've been commanded to do. Not to go and minister to every stray dog out there. Unless the stray dog is interested and wants it. That's different. But it's not for us to be going around saving everybody. Look, John 14, 6 says, Yeshua said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How do we come to the Father? To the Pesach Lamb. How do we get through the Pesach land? To the Sulam, the narrow gate. The gate that leads to life. He is that narrow gate that leads to life. Hebrews 11.24 By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Do you hear what he just said? He refused it. Now, may I keep, may I, let me just jot your memory, that he grew up with them. They were like his parents. Do you see the zealousness that Moses had? To the point where he's like, I don't want nothing to do with you. Simply put, I refuse to be identified with your faith. Because this all connects to faith at the end of the day. Look, choosing rather to be, what? Mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Wow. I mean, this speaks in volumes to me, folks. Because this goes back to what Yeshua talked about. If you're not willing to leave mother and father, son and daughter for the sake of my name. You're not worthy of the kingdom. We need to detach from the ways of the world, folks. And let me tell you something. Satan is very smart. That's why he's the Nahash. A serpent is very, very smart. And he's not going to come to you in his true colors. He's going to use vessels in the world. Vessels. That's what he does. He uses people to accomplish his will. He's going to use those who are most dearest to you to fulfill his will. We need to be smart enough to see it and strong in spirit to resist it. Because he's going to use people, folks. He will get to you through people. He's not going to come and say, I am the devil. <laughs> he's going to come through the nice little person that you love the most. Oh, my God, it's my dearest little whoever. Son, daughter, husband, whoever. He's going to use all these vessels to drive you away. You need to be bold. You need to choose a narrow gate. Just like Moses. Moses said he chose to not be identified with that. And by the way, Moses chose the Messiah. Look, I'm going to read it to you in here. Look. He considered the reproach. When I read this, it was just like, wow, that's actually there. He considered the reproach of Messiah greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Do you hear what he just said? He chose the reproach of the Messiah. Wait a minute. Hold on for a minute. 
Where is the Messiah mentioned in the story of Moses? Where is Jesus there? Most, according to the writer of Hebrews, he chose the Messiah, even back then, in the time of Egypt. <coughs> well, we just read it. We just read it in Hebrew. The Aleph Tav of Yohebake. See, you see it in the Hebrew, you don't see it in English. Moses chose the Messiah. But look what he says, most importantly. He said he chose the wealth of the Messiah, which was what? Nakeseh, reproach. He saw that as more valuable than what? Than the treasures of Egypt. Now, the treasures of Egypt were real Kesek. They were gold and silver. He chose Mashiach above that. And then we wonder why did God chose Moses? Look. For he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endure as seeing him who is invisible. <clears throat> by faith he left Egypt. I will submit to you, by faith, all of you are leaving Egypt right now. We have to leave Egypt by faith. Why do we have to do that by faith? Because Egypt provides everything for us, doesn't it? Egypt has all the resources. Egypt is daddy, so to speak, in this world. You know, sugar daddy, that is. <laughs> Egypt provides all the goods the leeks, the garlics, everything it takes faith to say I want nothing to do with your lawlessness and I will take the reproach of the Mashiach because I find that as great a reward than what Egypt can provide for me we need to be bold that way folks if we don't have that kind of boldness how are we going to survive the attempts well Richard maybe it's not going to be us but what about your seed well, maybe it's not them. Well, what about their seed? You know, the line continues and continues. It's got to start somewhere. Either you start it or your seed starts it. Look. By faith, he kept the Passover. Why do we keep Passover? Because we have emunah. We have faith. We have belief. We believe in the Messiah. That's why we keep the Passover. And the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So now we're going to conclude in here uh, very shortly with the Gentiles in connection with the Passover. Exodus 22, 43. And Hashem said to Moses, enter Aaron. This is the statue of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. That's why on Passover, folks, don't be inviting the whole world to come to Passover. This is not an open ticket invitation for a dinner to eat lamb. This is a covenant meal. Look. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have what? Circumcised. And I'm going to show this in Hebrew. It says, By Yemuel Yehovah el Moshe ve'aharon zot chukah ha-pasach. It says, this is the chukah. Okay? This has to do with the ordinance, the chukah of the Pesach. It says, kol ben nekar. It says, all. Ben nekar is son. Ben is son. Nekar is talking about a stranger. Something, by the way, that's abominable. Something that's viewed as detestable. So what is Ben? Ben is a son, but it's not just a son. Ben is a builder, the builder of the house. And it's saying all those, I'm going to read it to you literally the way it says in Hebrew. All those who are the builders of the foreigners. The builders of those who see things as foreign, detestable. How many of you people have said the beasts are very detestable? Or they view it as detestable. They view it as strange. He's saying all these builders, 
Well, who will be the builders of the Nekar today? Well, who are the ones that are building out there saying that we don't need Passover? I'll leave you to answer that question. I'm not going to answer you answer it. Who are the ones out there that are saying, and they're actually presenting a good case saying, we don't need those Jewish beasts? I'll let you answer that question. I'm just, I'm just telling you the way it says it here. Those who are building this, this house that says we don't need that. It's strange. It's foreign. Lo yokal bo. They shall not consume or they shall not eat of it. Why? It says, but who will eat of it? Vekol evet, but all the what? Servants who obey, each man, miknat kesef. This word miknat is from the Hebrew word mikah, which means to purchase. But it's more than just purchase, it means to long for. So it's talking about those who are longing for. Are you longing for him? And if you're longing for him, what does that say about you? What does that say about your heart? Think about it. If you're longing for him. So this is miknah. It is literally to purchase. Kesef. It is pale. Something that's pale. But kesef also means silver, which is, talks about money. But that word kesef also carries the understanding of being brought to shame. Guess what? The Mashiach was brought to shame. When he purchased you. And this is what we're talking about. This miknat kesef or kesef literally connects with the Messiah purchasing us at the cross. Because he endures shame. By the way, in this word kesef means to become pale. What is becoming pale? What happens when you become pale white? Death. Dying. It's amazing, folks. What the Hebrew reveals that we don't see in the English. So it says in here, So these are the ones who are dated, the ones who have the heart essentially, and once they have the heart for it, they are to what? That is circumcision. What is circumcision? The sign of the covenant, folks. Sign of the covenant. Look. Small one here. Romans 1, 4, and 5. And it was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Yeshua Messiah, our Lord, through whom we have received the grace and apostleship, bring about the what? Obedience. Obedience. It goes back to when we started the, the parasha. The purpose of salvation is so that you can serve the Almighty, that you can obey Him. This is exactly what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 1. That this, this grace that you receive it was not for you to go and say, well, now I can run the red light. It's not for you to do what you want to do, but rather to obedience. Look, to bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Your obedience needs to be seen through the nations. Who's the nations? The one who's not in covenant with him. It's very simple, folks. The one who are not in covenant. You are to be a light into them through your obedience. Look, Romans 6.15 says, what then? This is a good one. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Isn't that the question that we ask today? <laughs> a very vivid question today. Jesus died and resurrected. Do we have to obey? That's what he's saying in here. What is the answer? By no means, he says, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? This is really a Passover language right here. 
You have to understand Passover to understand what he's saying to you. That's why he's saying that if you're obedient slaves, you're going to obey your master. That's what salvation is all about. You are now an ebe. You are obeyed. You are a slave to the one who purchased you. Who purchased you? Yeshua. You obey him now. You switch masters. That's all salvation is, folks. Our understanding of salvation today is the pearly gates. This is why we get into so many arguments. And by the way, I'm, I'm serious. I've been around this walk long enough to see it. They will corner you. And they will put that in your mind saying, you need to tell me that I'm not saved because I don't receive the Torah. You need to learn how to answer that. You need to, first of all, what is your understanding of salvation? Because you see, in their mind, salvation means I made it to ticket. I made it to heaven. But that's not what salvation is. They became saved and they will save here and after their salvation, where did they went? <coughs> to the wilderness. Mm -hmm. To be tested. To be tried and to give the Torah. Heaven, as we know it today, or the New Jerusalem folks, is the inheritance, not your salvation. Two different topics, two different issues in the Torah. You have to have salvation to get the inheritance. But salvation is not a guarantee of the inheritance. That's the difference. You can choose to opt out of your salvation and get no inheritance. Who gets the inheritance? The sons. You have to be a son. You're not a son. You're not getting an inheritance. So we need to get out of that horse thinking that we got a first-class ticket to heaven because we said yes to Jesus. That's a watered-down gospel with no foundation no truth. You need to understand properly, biblically, what is salvation. You just switch masters. That's it. You need to work out your salvation every day now. This is what Apostle Paul says. Work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. So look. Moving on here because we're running short on time. Now Romans 6.15. But thanks to be God that you were once slaves of sin. You were once a slave to sin. You obey its desires with no problem have become obedient. You hear the language? You were slave to sin. You were an evet. What is an evet? One who obeys. You were obeying sin. What is sin? Lawlessness. You were obeying lawlessness, but now you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from what? Lawlessness, you became slaves of? Righteousness. See, Apostle Paul understood biblical salvation very, very well, which is why people don't understand his letters. Because he is actually addressing an issue in here that is completely foreign to us today. Because, you see, we think we're already in heaven. Well, I'm already got my ticket. My seat is already guaranteed. No, it's not. You need to serve your master now. And the outcome of that will determine whether you get an inheritance or not. And you know what they're going to say after that, where well, you are working for salvation. I'm not working for salvation. I'm working for the inheritance. Yes, in the Bible, you need to work for your inheritance. My salvation is already there. I, I already switched the master. Yeah, I'm not working for salvation. I'm working for the inheritance. The land. Look, 1 Corinthians 6.19. Oh, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own anymore. Get used to it. You're not your own anymore. Tell me where in the Bible, and if you can find that for me, I will pay you. A slave actually have rights. A slave doesn't have rights, folks. You are completely endeavored to your master. 
So this whole, this whole American mindset that I have rights needs to die. That's the problem. We too are Americanized. Oh, uh, it's my right. And it's your right to remain silent and serve God. That's your right. Amen. Okay? That's what you need to do. And stop grumbling. That's your right right there. Look, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You were purchased, folks. You said yes to him and Passover. Guess what? You don't have rights. He owns your rights. Don't be scared. That's a beautiful thing. What a better person to own your rights than God created of the whole universe. He can do better with your rights than what you can do with your rights. Because all you're going to do with your rights is destroy yourself. First Corinthians 7.23 You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men, folks. Revelation 22.14 Blessed are those doing his commandments so that they may what? Have the right to the tree of life. Why would Revelation say that? That makes no sense if all you have to say is yes and that's it. Then Revelation 22 is a big red flag. It doesn't say blessed are those who said yes to Jesus. <laughs> it doesn't say that. I'm not trying to be facetious. It's the truth. It says, blessed are those who are doing his commandments. Because automatically they already accepted Yeshua. And now they're walking the fruit. So that they may have the what? The right to the tree of life. Do you notice what it says there? See, folks, you need to read when you read. The tree of life is a right. You have the right to that tree of life. Why? Because you're obeying. It's something that is tangible. You can feel it. You can see it. So that they may have the right of the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. But who is outside? <laughs> outside are dogs, sorcerers, and sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and practice what? Oh. Ooh, that covers a lot of territory, but I won't get into that now. <laughs> serious folks if we believe this bible if we believe that book we need to we need to come in agreement with it all of it look exodus 12 48 if a stranger shall sojourn with you and shall keep the passover to hashem let all his males be circumcised then he may come near and keep it and he shall be as the native of the land but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it there shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns with you how many laws one law. That's it. But look what it says. If a stranger shall sojourn with you, in Hebrew, this is what it says. Veki yagur itcha ger. What is the word there? It's ger. A ger is actually not a Gentile. A ger is a newcomer, a proselyte, or even a convert. A ger is not synonymous with a goy. A goy is one who literally has no God. A ger is someone who says, you know what? I want that. I'm a citizen. I want this. So what happens? If the girl, the one who wants the covenant, the one who is a newcomer, what is it that he needs to do? Then he needs to circumcise. What is circumcision? But he already belongs to God. Listen to what I'm saying. He's already a girl. He's already a newcomer. The circumcision is not saving him. He's already been saved. The circumcision is the sign of the covenant now. That's what we're misunderstanding today in the body, believe it or not, in the Messianic community. Circumcision is still important for Hashem. We have to present it the way it was presented to Abraham. It was given after salvation as a token and a sign of the covenant, folks. 
So a proselyte or a convert, folks. Romans 11, 17. But if some of the branches were broken off in you, although while other shoe were grafted in among the others, and now share of the nourishing root, do not be arrogant towards the branches. You are not, remember, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Gentiles, what happened in Exodus 20, uh, right here? Exodus 12, 48 says that what? That the Gentiles also kept with them. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and shall keep the Passover to Hashem, let his always males be circumcised. This is talking about, again, people who are coming into the covenant. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger. That means that Passover, Sabbath, all these things are the same for the native as if they are for the stranger. By the way, that word for one law in here is echad. What is echad? Unified one. It's one law unified for, for common unity for all of us. Ephesians 2.11, we'll end with this. Therefore, remember that at the one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Ephesians chapter 2, we cover this so many times, but it does cover, and it gives a basic understanding of the Passover. To Passover, you crossed over, and you became one with Hashem. And now, you are one with the people of God, folks, not separated. You can't say, well, I'm a Gentile who believes in God, so therefore I keep these feasts. But you are a Jew who believes in God, the same God, by the way, but you keep that feast. That's not Echad. That's not unified one. So all these things pointing out to the Mashiach as we close in and understanding the Passover and coming into the covenant. Amen?
it's actually Nebuchadnezzar. He's using a vessel as his hand to enact the punishment. And we see that Nebuchadnezzar's army and what is going to happen to the land of Egypt is kind of juxtaposed with the plagues that we read about in this Torah portion. Um, parallels with the heifer, you know, Egypt being seen as a heifer and having the biting flies just like the gnats, or like the army of Nebuchadnezzar coming up on Egypt like locusts. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the most interesting parts of this entire portion actually occurs at the end, where the Lord is trying to encourage his people. And um, <clears throat> right here at the end, in Jeremiah 46, 28, the Lord says, I will discipline you in just measure, and I will be, by no means leave you unpunished. In some translations, like in the scriptures, uh, as Asher read, it says right ruling. And we know that right ruling and measure, we've heard this word before in Hebrew, it's mishpat. And Mishpat has to deal with the judgments, and we find that all the way back in that dusty old Torah. Um, so when we put those things together, the Lord's literally saying that he's going to discipline or he's going to correct or judge with the Torah, literally, right there. Um, and just a little after that, this really caught my eye. It says, but I will by no means leave you unpunished. And... I looked at that in Hebrew, and there's actually two words there, and they're the exact same word that's being repeated one after the other. And the two words are H5352, and it's nakah. And nakah literally means to be made or to make clean by implication in an adverse sense to be made bare, that is extricated, to be acquitted, to be held altogether blameless, to cleanse, to be clear or clearing. It can also mean to be cut off or to be desolate. <coughs> the word I really want to emphasize here is to be free. Also to be held guiltless, to be held innocent, and to be no means be quit or to be left unpunished utterly and wholly. So <clears throat> in the English it says that he will not leave you unpunished. But in the Hebrew, and even according to the sages, they agree that this can also be interpreted as I will not utterly cut you off which goes hand in hand with what we read in the Torah portion today and also with what was taught. Um, we see that throughout Egypt's trial, that through, even though that they were being consumed with judgment, the faithful Israelites were having this hope that they would soon be set free. And that freedom they knew was going to come with a price. When we were called out of our own personal Egypts and we were redeemed, we would learn today, that we are not given free reign to do as we please, but we are called to serve God through obedience, and that we are being called out of our former ways of life in order to come and learn this faith, and to learn the way that our Father desires to be served. Yes, as it says here in Isaiah 27, 9, therefore, by this, the guilt of Jacob will be atoned for, and this will be the fruit of the removal of his sin, when he makes the stones of the altars like chalk stones crushed to pieces, and no asherim or incense altars will remain standing. When the children were going through their trials, they were being called back to Hashem in his service, they had to give something up. And it's something that we've all had to give up at some point, or are in the process of. We've had to give up our former ways of life. We've had to give up former preconceived ideas, former ideas of faith. And in a lot of cases, that was extremely painful. And it was difficult. And we 
felt that we were going through a trial or that we were being consumed with a plague at some points. But that's not the case. The Lord was actually rescuing us. When we first heard the call, most of us had no idea what Hashem really wanted from us or what he required. We had traditions and customs or practices that were foreign to this faith and foreign to Hashem. And little by little, we've been asked to give these things up so that we can learn how to approach a holy God, how to serve him, and most of all, how to have our character changed into his. As it says in Psalms 84, starting in verse 5, it says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they will make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They will go from strength to strength, and each one appears before God in Zion. And also here in 2 Corinthians, But we, with all open face, beholding, as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So it's the Spirit of the Lord that helps us make this transformation. It's our desire to serve Him. It's that, you could say, good inclination for us to want to serve, to do righteous that propels us into this faith and strengthens us to follow his Torah and his commandments. Otherwise, without it, we're not going to want to do it. If we don't have the heart, we're not going to submit ourselves. We're not going to relinquish those things because we feel that these are higher than God. Or, worst case scenario, we think that they were given to us by God, even though they contradict. We need to be careful with what we say, what we do, and how we believe, and be humble enough to submit under our Father to learn his ways. And in order to change these fleshly desires into his spirit, we need to serve him through obedience. And that obedience comes through his Torah. And by following his commandments, observing his festivals, and executing justice according to his judgments, after all, what better way to become like the Father than to imitate him? Didn't he command us to be imitators of him? Here in uh, the third epistle of John 1.11, it says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. For whoever does good is from God, but whoever does evil has not seen God. We learned in today's Torah portion that evil is synonymous with sin, and we know that sin is lawlessness. Mm -hmm. So people who are imitating lawlessness are not imitating what is good. If they're not imitating what is good, then it's not coming from God. And if they're not imitating what's coming from God, you can best be sure they're not doing the right thing. And that's not the path we want to go on. That's not going to lead us to life. If we stray from these things, that is, from following the commandments, we need to understand that we will be chastised, especially if we come into this covenant. He's going to be right there, just like a father. When we're reaching for that cookie jar and we're not supposed to be in the kitchen, he's going to be right there with that belt. (laughs) So, we need to understand that as children, the believer cannot exist without the pattern of our faith. That is the instructions. And it was given by our father, Hashem himself. We are not wild grapes. We are branches on the olive tree that is Messiah. And if we love him, we will serve him. And if we are chastised and we love him, then we will accept the chastisement and repent from our former ways of life. Isn't that true with our kids? Mm -hmm. When they love and they respect us, when we tell them, no, you can't do this, no, this is wrong, don't they submit and say, you know what, Dad, you're right. Or they should. (laughs) Not always. But when they're young enough, they do. Eventually, you get them to stop reaching for the cookie jar, and then they come up and ask. But the point is is that if we love him, we're going to be obedient to him. 
that's what he wants from us. Uh, Revelation 9, 3, 19 comes in agreement with this. Those whom I love, I do reprove and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. How about Hebrews 12, 5 to 9? And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when you are reproved by him. Because the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is the discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as a son. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Yeah, if your father's quiet and he's letting you do whatever you want, you best believe he probably doesn't love you as much as you think he does. <coughs> Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Why? Because we knew that they were guiding us. We knew that they were looking out for our good. Even though we didn't agree with it, they were right there. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of the spirits and live? For they... <clears throat> disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful and rather unpleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's the whole point of this walk. Every time we do something that doesn't quite line up with Torah, it's okay, as long as we're repenting from it and we go, okay, you know what? I slipped. I fell. I shouldn't have eaten that whole tray of cupcakes. <laughs> Mom said no, and I did it anyway. Yeah, I deserve that punishment. I'm not going to do that again. If we're humble enough to accept our discipline and to continue picking up our pieces and walking along, the Lord will always be there for us to guide us, just as he was there for the children of Israel, just as he was there for the future time, for the people, whether that's our generation or the next generation. He's going to be there for us to pull us out of our trouble, but only if we behave like sons. Obedience can feel like chastisement, and as we enter into this covenant with the Father, we need to remember that he's attempting to renew our minds, that he's trying to get us to retrain our behaviors, even though it feels difficult. And when we do these things, when we submit these things, we are actually giving him the ultimate gift of our worship that we can give, which is our lives. And when we do what is right, even though it might hurt, the struggle that we go through to make those changes, it's going to be temporary. Eventually, it's going to be impressed on us. It's going to become our character. And the Father, we need to remember, he's the one who's guiding us because he's the one who gave us this pattern. He is our shepherd, and he is leading us to life, even though he is leading us through the fire of these trials. And that is your half work. Shannon had a really good message today. And it has to do with uh, receiving the correction that the Father has given us and learning from the chastisement that he has given to, this, to those who he loves. And unfortunately, not everyone will heed those corrections or receive those changes. Uh, they will continue with an uncircumcised heart. And this message today, what we see here is the Passover Seder. So that's the setting for this message. And, and that is my favorite feast out of the entire feast that the Father has given us is the Passover, because it gives me an opportunity to look within myself and truly examine the, the, the choices that I have made throughout that year, the things that could be inside my heart that the Father will not be, is not pleased with, and gives me the opportunity to change and make those proper corrections so that I can walk in, in, in his walk with, and be the light that he has asked me to do, to be. 
So we see that the message here is the state of your heart. It's not so much how to properly do a Passover or that, uh, that they're serving food at a Seder, but the reality, the message is more consistent with seeking your heart and looking within yourselves and trying to change and making your heart from, uh, from uncircumcised to circumcised. Here we see, we, in the first part, Luke, you hear uh, he makes, or the, the writer makes a specific point of Judas Iscariot and also about the dispute within each other of who is the greatest. So you're seeing, they're giving you an, a, a, a flair of what is the heart of the people inside the Seder. So we have here the Passover, it's an eternal ceremony. So we have to understand what is an actual Seder. Why, do they, why are they even having Passover? It's an eternal ceremony to remind us that we have been purchased by Hashem, and that He is our Master, and making us bond servants of the Creator of the world. So this is a season to search deep inside, into our souls, into our hearts, and judge. The word judge is discerning what's in our hearts. So he will hold us accountable for what is in our hearts. So the day of judgment, he will, he will hold you accountable for what is in your heart. And he will also remind you that I have given you chastisements. I have given you opportunities to change the teshuvah. I have passed my rod onto you so that you can see the, the errors of your ways. But Luke and 1 Corinthians address the same issue. It's a soulish appetite. You're entering into Passover with soulish desires. And I will go a little bit deeper as to what, that, what I mean. But I want to read some of the Luke and the Corinthians. Behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. So he's addressing right there immediately, you are boasting yourselves of who's going to be your lordship. Who's the one that's going to be in charge of the 12 of us when Messiah leaves? Who's the leader? And he says, that is not going to be your case. So let's, let's get that understood rather uh, more perfectly. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at a table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sits on and sit on thrones judging the 12 <coughs> tribes of Israel that has not yet occurred this is he is he is specifically letting them know that in a time to come you will be rulers but right now you are to serve first corinthians 11 whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the lord in an unworthy manner it's very important to remember those words will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the lord unworthy manner it's referring to your heart let a person examine himself, and then, and so eat the, of the bread and of the cup. For everyone who eats the drinks without discerning, the body eats and drinks judgment, condemnation. That is the Greek word condemnation for the word judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some of you died. If we judged, and that is the Greek word for discerning ourselves truly, we will not be judged, condemned. But when we are judged by the Lord, condemned by the Lord, we are, dis we are disciplined. And, and that word condemning by the Lord is talking about 
what Shannon had talked to today. He brings us, he brings correction, he brings calamity, he puts us through the rod. Yes. And by doing so, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Yes. So there's a purpose. When he sees us going off astray, he's going to bring us in. And he's going to try, he's going to tell us, you're doing wrong. But I'm going to go back to and, and give you an, and what the Father was showing me, given to appetite. It's a connection between the two testimonies. And given to appetite is an idiom for the soulish desires. Proverbs 23, 1 through 3, it says, When you sit down and eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire the delicacies, for they are deceptive food. That word appetite in the Hebrew is nefesh. It's talking about your soul. It is not talking about your hunger pains. It is literally talking about your heart, your nefesh, your animalistic, soulish appetite, meaning your pride, your arrogance, your, your everything. That, and I'm going to go further. There's other scriptures that are going to tie this together. So the Passover is a table of a ruler. Is it or is it not? Is not our Passover table the Lord's Supper? It is the table of the Father. So just as we can be judged for being for being given into soulish desires at the table of an earthly king, if we approach the table of our master with that same uncircumcised heart and that soulish desire entering it, we are at risk of being judged. So the Father's connection, the Father connects our appetites to pride and humbling. And this is in Deuteronomy 8. He says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of Adonai. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I commanded you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is the appetite that he's referring to. Do not come to my table with that soulish appetite. And he who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. So what is Messiah and the apostles telling us with, with these, with these uh, witnesses. That we need to check our soul and make sure that when we are entering into Passover, that we are observing the Passover with circumcised heart. And it doesn't happen the week before. You don't go the week before Passover and go down the list of things. This is a daily observance, a daily in reflection. Yes. Why do we come together once a month to do the women character meeting? Because that's the purpose, to bring this inside. Evaluate your heart. What am I lacking? What am I not lacking? Why do I keep going over this mountain again and again? Why do I keep going through this trial again and again? There's something that the Father is showing you, and we need to circumcise that out of our heart. And not to be given to soulish desires. Otherwise, we'll be condemned with the rest of the world. And what are these soulish traits? Well, we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, 
Nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident. This is the work of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and these things and, and things like these. I warn you and I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what should we do? We know God has given us a list of things that we shouldn't do. Believe it or not, within the body, we still are practicing. We might not be practicing the things that are excessive, but fits of anger, jealousy, envy, dissension, strife. Yeah, it's in the body. It's in the body and heavy. And it's, and it's things that the Father is not pleased with. So what should we do? Well, we should be humble. Matthew 23 says, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Proverbs 16, It is better to be humble with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Proverbs 29, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is humble in spirit will obtain honor. In Matthew 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So humility is an important key element in the process of transforming our hearts. If we're proud and arrogant, we're not going to see the error. We're not going to see the correction. We're not going to see the chastisement and put it on somebody else. And say, I'm in this position because of you. No, you're in that position because of you. Yourself. So beginning the process of circumcising our hearts. Without humility, we will believe that we don't need teachers nor will we receive the corrections from our brethren, because how else does God talk to me? Please don't tell me you hear an audible voice, because I will commit you. No, really. Audible voices is not common. Father talks to you through your brethren. The Father talks to you through circumstances. The Father talks to you through corrections of the elders. The Father talks to you through admonition between one another, through love, through that, that, that person who's there with you. They're going to help you. That's the whole purpose of having a fellowship. That's the whole purpose of having a community. It's the purpose of having accountability. So ultimately, we need to be transformed into the image of Messiah, which has fruits that can be seen. You have to understand this, that if you are being transformed, people are going to see the fruits, bad or good. Whether you're transformed or not transformed, your fruits will say who you are. Your mouth will speak your heart. That you will be known by the fruits. How many times does the scriptures talk about the idioms of us being trees and that you will bring forth your fruit, etc., etc.? So Galatians 5 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. In Ephesians 5, for, one, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light of the, of the, in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It is important for us to expose the darkness. 
if things are not going according to righteousness and we are witness to it, it needs to be spoken. We cannot turn a face and not see it. Otherwise, you're going to have the enemy in the camp. The serpent will come in. Adam was to hedge and protect. And instead of hedging and protecting, he fell asleep and the serpent found a hole. This is what he is referring to. Do not cover it up. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. So the conclusion of this message. The Passover is not a fancy dinner. It is not a fancy dinner. Or a place to come and socialize or be given into appetite. It is a season to be reflecting on the fact that you have switched masters and that your master purchased your soul with a hefty ransom. Did he or did he not? It is a ransom that you cannot pay. It is not a ransom that you can produce yourself. He and he alone did so. And he is our master. There is an expectation that he has for his bond servants, and it is our duty to search our souls. It is a requirement. And be humble so that when when so that we can represent him in righteousness and be his ambassador here on earth. Hallelujah. Bless you, Father.